a un primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. By a show of hands, how many of you knew that Kelvin Benjamin, before last night, was still in the league? Or, to be at more apropos, was back in the league? No idea, son. No idea. I had no idea that Kelvin Benjamin was back in the league, but he was back in the league and he was apparently a New York Giant. Again, no idea that he was one back in the league and two that he was a New York Giant. Keyword there is was. He is no longer a New York Giant because apparently he was too heavy. If you let the Giants tell it. So Kelvin Benjamin showed up to camp. They wanted him to try out for a tight end position. This was a wide wide receiver. He was a big wide receiver remember him from the Panthers and the Bills big wide receiver and now they want to transition him into tight end and they told him to come in at 250 and Kelvin was like all right cool bounced when he came back he came back at 260 260 266 he's like bruh when I was killing shit for the Panthers and then later for the Bills I was pushing 270 and you want me to lose weight to be tight end? And the Giants are like, yeah, we we asked you to come in at 250. We signed you at 260 something. We said you're a little bit too heavy for what we want. We want you to come in at 250. Kevin Benjamin said, look, I know what's best for me. I can perform at a high level. Borderline, was he a pro bowl with the Panthers? If he wasn't, he was close. I think he had one year where he might have been actual close consideration if he wasn't actually a pro bowler. So, Kelvin Benjamin is like, look, I know my body. I know what's best for me. I know at the level that I need to be at to perform in this league, I'm still going to roll up in there at 260 plus. And he did. And the Giants said, I'm good, love. Enjoy. (laughs) And got him up out of there. And that leads into the league mandating vaccines for NFL players. So this has been interesting to watch as NFL players are now having to choose sides. And this is something where for me, it goes into again, the lack of power for these players. Now I'm not going to sit here and say whether you should get vaccinated or not. That's a choice that's up to you. But if you're employed and your employer says, look, Because of all the safety concerns, this, that, and the third, if you want to continue working here, you need to go get vaxxed. That's not when you pull the whole labor rights, my labor rights are being violated card. Because I can tell you as someone that was a health professional at one point, they wanted us to take the flu vaccine every year. And I have never fucked with that flu vaccine. So every year, 
I had to write a thing out and have it documented that I am turning down the flu vaccine and go through whatever measures they subjected me to, to still continue to work, even though I did not and refused to take the flu vaccine. You know, you would have to wear a mask or, you know, wear gloves or some, some shit like that. Like they, they made sure that you took extensive measures to protect yourself by not taking the vaccine. This COVID shit's a little different, bruh. A mask ain't going to do it. Gloves ain't going to do it. Separating six feet away with plexiglass in between. That ain't going to do it. You just need to go get that shot, bruh. You can say whatever you want about the, the wherewithal of it and the validity of it and how fast it was made and trial and error and are we guinea pigs. You can go through all of that, bruh. But the fact of the matter is, is that it at least gives you a chance as opposed to being unvaxxed where you have little to no chance. So NFL players are now stuck in the NFL, I think geniusly, is using football rhetoric to implore players to go get vaxxed. You're letting your team down if you don't get vaxxed because now teams are going to have to forfeit. This is going to cost you games. So a player choosing himself over team, which is a big no-no in the religion that is football, that will cost your team games. So what the hell now do you do if you're Mr. Team Guy, there's no I in team. You got to go get that shot. But you, you don't want to go get that shot. Whether it's Nook and your girl is influencing you. Whether it's who's, who's man's for the bills. Who's, who's shorty is MAGA. I forget who it is. There's a whole bunch of them that have that same kind of scenario. But anyway. Most of these guys are being influenced by those around them to not go get the shot. So now you have not only your own personal individual feelings about it, now you have potentially wifey, family, parents, whomever, giving you their thoughts and opinions. Then you have your team and your team doctors and your coaches and management and possibly owners giving you their thoughts and opinions. And you have to cipher all of that and funnel it and then figure out what you're going to do. You're going to go get that shot or nah? You willing to sit at the crib for 17 weeks or nah? You willing to forfeit that funny money contract and have it voided or nah? NFL players are again being shown how their union is the worst, how their player empowerment is the least, and how the religion of sport and fandom still drives them. Because if it's up to me and you tell me, look, take this shot and you have a 94% chance, bare minimum, 94% chance protecting yourself against this thing that's taking people out and a remix that's coming right behind it. You're willing to take that 6% chance? Now, is it ego? If you're an NFL player, it's a very remote chance of you making it to the NFL. And if you're one of the privileged few to make it, you've already beat unsurmountable odds so it's not taking the vax and trying to be anti-vax just going along with the same mindset of i can do it i can be the one a lot of these guys come from remote hometowns meager beginnings we we see the, the nfl draft shit every year trauma porn 
all throughout the NFL draft. So we know the hard luck stories a lot of these players come from. So they've beaten the odds just to get to this point. Are they taking that mindset and saying, I can even beat the odds with COVID? Single mom, grandmother raised me, all that type of shit, you know. Are they taking that logic and applying it towards, I can even beat COVID? Because you look at the players who have caught like Miles Garrett, he still says he's not sure if he's the same. He's saying all the right things, but then he's also giving you implications that he's not really sure. And he caught it. And when he came back last year, he was clearly not the same. And this is Miles Garrett we're talking about. We're not talking about rank and foul guys. We're not talking about third and fourth team guys. We're not talking about scout team guys. We're talking about a franchise player. He's like, I caught the shit. I recovered from it. I came back and I didn't feel right. I wasn't as explosive. I wasn't as strong. These are real consequences. So even if you think you could beat the odds. If Miles Garrett couldn't beat the odds, what makes you think you can? So if a guy that before the Rona was trending towards a Hall of Fame career is decimated, is a lesser player because of catching it. And it's a year plus later and he's still not right. If it could take him down, what makes you think it can't happen to the third string guy or Cole Beasley, who thinks he's the greatest slot receiver in the league right now, which I mean, is his own. I mean, that's, that's not even worthy of a trash narrative, but you understand what I'm saying. This is where we're at. So Kelvin Benjamin thinks he knows his body better than the NFL and the coaches do. And says, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And the NFL says, son, you forgot where you signed up to play at. You forgot who your employer is. You're employed by the NFL. You're going home. And they sent Kelvin Benjamin back home. And now you have NFL players who think they could just not get vaxxed and walk back onto the field and think it's all good. They forgot where they played at. They forgot who they played for. Did Aaron Rodgers trick off his power? His leverage? His influence? Because then it seemed like when the whole draft thing came down at Aaron Rodgers, it looked like, oh, wow, he's, he's going to force them to make a move. And the Packers just said, Nah, we good. You still showing up. And Aaron Rodgers has been running around doing Jeopardy, doing celebrity golf tournaments, doing all types of other shit except playing football, except not coming to OTAs, voluntary workouts. He's done everything else except give any implication that he's going to play football until a couple days ago when he had to show up before he started getting fined. 50k a day even to a guy like Aaron Rodgers that's bread when he made that move or when the information was leaked or Schefter decided to put the information out there on draft night it seemed as though the gauntlet had been laid down Aaron Rodgers like get me out of here I will not play ever again 
for the Green Bay Packers. And it seemed logical. It seemed like, wow, he has a type of influence and power that he might be able to get that off. Even in the almighty NFL that never wants to empower players, even quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers seemed to be the type that might be able to get it off. Because you saw what Brady did last year. He clearly is running shit in Tampa Bay. I mean, if you're him and you have his resume with the amount of rings and pedigree he has, you're not going to Tampa Bay and really falling back to Bruce Arians. You could let him get his coach shit off and whatever, whatever. I mean, I remember him going on radio stations and TV shows saying that Antonio Brown had no chance to ever become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Said it authoritatively. And what the hell happened? Antonio Brown was playing next to Tom Brady because who wanted him? Tom fucking Brady. So Tom Brady clearly has autonomy in Tampa Bay. And if you're Aaron Rodgers and you feel, yo, I'm better than son. You put me in the Patriots. We finished that undefeated season. You put me on the Patriots. I don't lose those Super Bowls. No matter what Eli, David Tyree, Mario Manningham, no matter what they do, I'm beating them. I'm getting those wins. So Aaron Rodgers feels he's better than Tom Brady, but yet Tom Brady's out here making shit happen, forcing the team to get Gronk out of retirement, making Bruce Arians go back on his word that Antonio Brown was never going to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, going to go get Fournette off the scrap heap, getting all those vets, all those former first-round picks to pull up and rock with him in Tampa Bay because he knew I need all the help I can get. And Aaron Rodgers did those crazy staff floating around that, you know, Peyton Manning has thrown something like almost 300 touchdowns to first round picks to the receivers, first round picks. You want to guess how many Aaron Rodgers has thrown? One. Right. So, you know, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're looking at what Tom Brady's able to get off and you're salty. You're salty, dogs. You can't tell me Aaron Rodgers having to actually report to Packers training camp and stand there in front of the media and answer questions after having whatever or whomever floating information through back channels to Schefter to put out there on the four-letter network on the eve of the draft that he wants out. You can't tell me he felt some sort of way actually having to still report the Packers training camp and stand up there and act like all of that shit didn't happen. I don't care how smart he thinks he is. I don't care how, you know, media savvy he thinks he is. He looked crazy up there. These dogs, we know what you try to do. You couldn't get it off. If ever there was going to be player empowerment in the NFL, you would assume it would at least be with the quarterbacks. But the fact that only Tom Brady has been able to get it off in this kind of way. And Aaron Rodgers, who thought, hey, look, I've been with, I'm this whole franchise. I am the franchise. And I can't, I'm out here. I got to put my name on the line for Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, son. You can't tell me he stood up there and did all of that. Leaked all that information, allegedly, whether it's him, through his people. However, they didn't have all that leaked just for him to come back to training camp with Randall Cobb. I refuse. I refuse to believe that Aaron Rodgers, who thinks he's smarter than everybody else, 
really thinks that the answer to fixing what ails Green Bay in that offense is Randall fucking Cobb. I refuse. I refuse. I dare someone to try to sell that to me. I dare you. I dare you. You heard that stat. Almost 300 touchdowns for Peyton Manning the first round picks. Aaron Rodgers won. And Randall Cobb fixes that? Are you sure? You really sure? Randall Cobb. This ain't young Randall Cobb. And even if it was young Randall Cobb, young Randall Cobb still needed peak Aaron Rodgers to become young Randall Cobb. Because what has Randall Cobb done when he's not around Aaron Rodgers? You can't tell me this is what is going to fix the Green Bay Packers. I just, it's, it's laughable. It's laughable. And player empowerment, right? Player empowerment, QB empowerment. And what do you do about Deshaun Watson? He had to pull up because he didn't want to get fined. So imagine Aaron Rodgers was chilling at the crib, hoping that his threat on draft night would finally come to fruition and he would be moved. He wasn't. So now he had to choose. Do you want to retire? Are you so hell bent on getting out that you'll retire? You'll walk away. You'll say the hell with it. You'll pull a Barry Sanders because Barry Sanders was trying to get traded. And the Lions said, nope, we're not doing that. I think they were close to moving him to Washington. If I remember how the history of that came, came to be. But the trade didn't happen. So Barry walked away. And I think Megatron had a similar thing where he was willing to play, just not with Detroit no more. He wanted to get the fuck up out of there. And the Lions weren't trying to do it. So he said, all right, I'm out. And Rodgers could have kept that same energy. But them fines were coming. And deep down, he still really wants to play. You have to be willing to go all the way with the bluff. You have to be willing to take a couple of fines. You have to be willing to do that. You can't talk all that talk and then you don't even want to get fined one day. So you pull up. Now we got to get cryptic IG stories with you and Devontae Adams like y'all are Jordan and Pippen on the last dance. Because both could be done in Green Bay after this year. So that's what we're doing. And then you have Deshaun Watson who, you know, went through the summer of whatever you want to call that. A very tumultuous summer. I think that that's the best word to fit that. And he had to pull up even though he wanted out. And I was before all 20 whatever cases of misconduct came out. And now allegedly the Texans are willing to engage in trade reports, but they want obviously one of the most lucrative deals in the history of any type of NFL trade package because of what they're giving up. But again, two QBs who both wanted out, two QBs who we thought had leverage when they initially had the reports leaked that they wanted to be out, and then everything went left. And Rodgers said he wanted out on draft night. We thought, holy shit, this is going to be amazing. And then just through the course of not wanting to actually miss time, the Packers called his bluff. And then Deshaun Watson, young elite, Dabo said that Michael Jordan of football, and he's lived up to a certain part of that. So when that trade request came down, I was like, oh shit, this guy's available. Every franchise, sans the Chiefs, have to do it. And then not one, not two, not three, but 20 plus 
accusations of misconduct that have some validity to it come out. And now he has to keep the same energy. But when you're bluffing, you're bluffing. When you think you have leverage and then that leverage is taken away. Now you're the one that's being leveraged against. So now he has to pull up. And I haven't seen too many quotes coming out of Texans camp about him answering anything. So player empowerment in the NFL, it's a dream notion. It's a narrative that they're trying to shoot for, but going up against what they have to endure in management for an office and their own CBA. There's no chance that the NFL players in this era will have the type of player empowerment that the NBA currently has. And even in MLB and NHL, like don't just compare it to NBA. MLB has got a better system. NHL has got a better system. NFL of the four major sports has the worst contracts and the worst players union. We'll get into a little basketball here. Uh, Oh, by the way, Shout out to the End of Regulation podcast. Got a chance to pull up on them um, on their latest episode. I'll put a link to that in the description. But shout out to them. They were very um, welcoming, welcoming into their setting. Had a really good conversation. Chopped it up for about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. Y'all know how I do it. I, I can talk. I can talk. Crack the mic. I can go. Uh, but no, it was, it was a really good conversation. It wasn't just all about sports. So we, we got into a whole bunch of things. So if you want to check for that, check for the link in the podcast description. Shout out to them. Salute to them. Any of y'all care about the NBA draft? I mean, the NBA draft, as I'm recording this, is actually tonight. Does anybody care? Anybody give a damn? Like, it's weird, man. It's, it's, last year's draft was so, I guess, I guess the word is, it was star-driven. LaMelo was a star because of his story, the family, the backstory, uh, plus his skill set. Weissman... Same deal. He was a star because of playing with Penny, that whole story, uh, plus his game. Then you had Anthony Edwards, who was the enigma, Rich Paul, clutch, that narrative, that agenda, pushing that propaganda forward. So it was a very star that the top of the draft really pushed the anticipation of last year's draft. And I don't think we have that for this year's draft. Cade Cunningham is a consensus number one overall pick to go to Detroit. And it's just kind of like, all right, Jalen Suggs. I've seen Jalen Suggs from, from Gonzaga, who, you know, I've, I saw him in person hit that dagger against UCLA in the uh, the final four. And that's, that was a surreal moment. But, I mean, I've seen him floating from the second pick all the way down to, like, the, the 11th pick. So, like, after Cade... It's a whole bunch of guys that are just kind of being slotted anywhere. And there's a lot of teams. There's four teams with multiple first round picks. I mean, it could be more by the time the draft actually happens because there's always going to be trades. But I mean, there's four teams with multiple first round picks and you have to be able to leverage that to move up, right? There's talks of the Lakers trying to move up. They're at 22. They're trying to get into the bottom half of the lottery. And they're dangling Kuzma, KCP, the usual suspects. Every every summer, the Lakers are dangling Kuzma and KCP to trying to see if they could flip for something. So, allegedly, the Pacers turned down a deal for Kuzma. 
and the Lakers 22nd overall pick for there. I believe they're at 13. So that's the thing. So the Lake Show is definitely trying to move up. They obviously have their eye on somebody to try to be in the mix that maybe they can add to their current roster. So there's going to be a whole bunch of rumors. There's going to be a whole bunch of uh, pump fakes in terms of trade demands and this team's trying to move up. This team trying to trying to move back. This team has a sound agreement with this team. So it's going to be hard to believe a lot of what you're going to see over the next 12 to 24 hours because it's always, it's always some bullshit. It's always. We always get gas. We always get, you know, the blue check boys who think they have the inside track on draft information, which they don't. I mean, I've said this here many a time, but if you don't know, the reason why guys like Woj and whoever else have these picks so early and we go crazy, like, oh my God, this guy's so tapped in. Let me peel back the curtain. The draft that you see on TV has a ridiculous TV delay. Like minutes worth. So when Woj sends that tweet out and it looks like, oh my God, he's unearthed, man, he's really locked in. Nah, the pick already happened. He's able to tweet it out in real time. You get to see it on TV like three to four minutes later. Right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said that here before, but I mean, it's it's a joke how um, people are getting credibility for, oh my God, he's first. Right. Because it's being pushed to you slower than it's actually happening in real time. But, you know, go off though. So, yeah, this draft class doesn't seem, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to sell you like I'm locked in on this draft like I was last year. Last year, to me, because of the fact that LaMelo was involved and I watched that trajectory from Lithuania to wherever, I was heavily more invested in that in that draft. And I went and I was able to watch a lot of games and I was able to do some actual, you know, like I put myself in the lab, basically. I'm going to keep that shit above. I did not do that this year. So I can't give you the hardcore analysis that, that I did last year when it came down to, nope, it's LaMelo or nothing. Maybe some Weissman if you really want to go, but it's really just LaMelo and nobody else. And that kind of came to be true. And there's a lot of people now that just like, yeah, man, LaMelo was always going to be. No, 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 no. That energy wasn't being kept last year or the year before. And damn sure not the year before that. But I was here. Anyway. Cade Cunningham is supposed to be the consensus number one. He's probably going to be the number one pick. You can make a case for Jalen Suggs. Mobley, you can make a case for him. I'm not really too locked in on it, so I really can't give you too much. But what I will say is this again. Like I floated out there when it was announced that Detroit got the number one overall pick. And it looked to be that the Warriors were going to have two first round, two high lottery picks. What do you do with those picks if you're the Warriors? You got to do something. You got to do something. If the Warriors sit there and use both those picks and don't trade them, then if I'm Steph Curry, I want out. Real shit. If I'm Steph Curry, I want out. There's no way I want to stay in Golden State. If you have two top 10, what they have two top 10 picks, right? I think they have two top 10 picks. I'm in the prime of my career, maybe even low key. Starting the decline 
of my career. We have Clay coming off an injury. We don't know what that's going to look like, especially on the defensive end of the rock. Because he's supposed to be our best defender. He's coming off injuries two straight summers. We assume he's going to be okay. But is he going to be all the way back? Is he going to be like KD and just bounce all the way back like he never left? Or is he going to show a little bit of wear and tear? And he's not getting any younger. And then you have Draymond Green, who, as we've seen in Team USA, and just if you just pay attention, look, man, that man's overpaid. As great as you might think he is defensively, he brings little else outside of setting screens for Steph. When it comes to the offensive end, if he's not running that two-man game with whatever big they have or someone who can play the, the role of the big, like they used to do with Iguodala, and now he tried to do at times last year with Weissman, if he can't do that or set a ton of screens for Steph, what else is Draymond doing? But he's getting max money, and he's not getting any younger. And it's not like he's going to get better. Draymond's not going to all of a sudden become a bucket, not at that level. So if you're Steph Curry and the Warriors sit there and take two more youngins to sit on that bench, what do you do? You can say you love the Bay, you love the town, you can talk all that fake I love the Bay shit, but you're at the tail end now. I'll say it if y'all won't. He's at the tail end. Them threes are nice, they're cute, the shimmy is cute, all that shit was cute. A lot of wear and tear on them trash-ass angles. What do you do if you're Steph and the Warriors really go and take two lottery picks and don't move them? Y'all know what I said they should do. They should move that shit for Dame. Move that shit for Dame and get it popping. And you've heard some reports about them sniffing around for Dame. I don't just make shit up in my head and just throw it out there and see if it sticks. If it makes basketball sense to me, you can make damn sure well it makes basketball sense to people in front offices. So that to me is more important about the draft tonight. It's not even really where these guys go. And I know we want to get wrapped up in the who's a sleeper, who's who's going to fall in draft. Dog, it was a year of COVID. The games were scheduled erratically. Games were canceled Kids didn't really get a chance to go off like they wanted to go off. That's why I think you're seeing more safer picks. Like, Cade is a safe pick. I don't know if he should be the number one overall pick, but he's a safe pick. You at least got to see him play enough. Mobley, same thing. And Jalen Sugg, same thing. We got to see those guys play enough. So in a year where COVID ravaged the college basketball schedule, you kind of just have to go off what you saw. There's not a lot more than that that you could do. I mean, part of that played into the draft last year where we saw Weissman's season get cut short. We know LaMelo was overseas and Anthony Edwards kind of just came out of nowhere, but it was a limited sample size. This year is even worse to me because COVID made the schedule so erratic. So we're kind of just guessing, to be quite honest. Anyone who thinks they, without a doubt, knows this guy is going to be nice, they're lying. They're absolutely lying. You can have a feeling, but you can't definitively say anything about any of these players. You can't. Because we didn't see a lot of them enough. 
So to me, the action of the draft is who's moving up? Who's going to leverage multiple lottery picks or multiple first round picks and move up and make something happen? Who's going to flip a star tonight? That's what I'm going to be looking for at the draft. And when you do that, you got to go to Dame. Like I said, the Warriors are sniffing around. And Dame is doing all the best that he can to try to poo-poo the attention away from himself. And he's got C.J. McCollum, you know, trying to get him on his own podcast to break it all down for him. And now there's reports of, you know, Dame's willing to take less money and give some money back to move to a contender. And Dame shot that down. Like, y'all got me fucked up. I ain't giving no bread back. And I wouldn't give bread back either if I was Dame. But if I'm Dame, I'm also trying to get the fuck up out of Portland. <laughs> like, I mean, what, what can they do tonight? Can Portland do anything tonight to improve their team that would make Dame want to stay? They hired Chauncey. Dame didn't give him the most glaring of endorsement. What can the Blazers do tonight that can make Dame think, oh, okay, I see the vision. I don't see what they can do tonight because who wants CJ? And what are you willing to give up to get CJ? And is what you're willing to give up to get CJ enough for Dane to be like, all right, I'm good. A lot of ifs. So I know a lot of y'all don't don't come here for college football talk, uh, but I have touched on a few things in college football uh, that interest me over the years here. But I think the seemingly <laughs> dissolving of the Big 12, I think is a huge thing because the SEC is about to be a super league. I mean, low-key, they kind of already were. But now, by bringing in Oklahoma and Texas, I don't know how you can dispute that. And when are they just going to go ahead and just make it official? And you've heard her talks of them just wanting to break free and maybe take the top 64 teams from the big five conferences and have their own thing and live outside of the NCAA and maybe get a TV contract that way. And maybe do a football version of Marsh Madness that way. Where you have 64 teams, everyone makes it, right? It's a good number, right? It works for basketball. So now you get 64 college teams and you run them through a March Madness style thing for your playoff. Culminating in a championship, just like the Final Four. So, this is all about money, right? We we can cut through the chase, we can cut through... The, you know, oh, we just want to, you know, put ourselves against the best competition. Like, no, it's about money. It's about money. Because now that players can actually make money off their name and likeness. You know, Alabama's got a QB that's making a million dollars this year. Uh, You know, the kid from Miami, the QB, he's making bank and he's spreading it amongst his teammates. He's leveraging his bread to get his mans in them to eat. So players are making bread. Right. That's, you know, players are making bread. So now it's like, all right, well, if 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 it's fair game to pay players, then we need to get with the league that has the best players so we can all get this bread. And that's the SEC. I brought up this stat for years of how they brought in half a billion dollars. In one year, (laughs) a few years ago, just off their TV network alone. So, yes, SEC's got the bread. They've been had the bread. 
And it makes sense for luminary schools like Oklahoma and Texas to want to pull up and get some of that SEC action and that SEC bread, more importantly. So now the Big 12 more or less is a wrap. It's a straight money play and they're trying to go get that bread. What does this mean for the the TCUs, the Kansases, the Kansas States, the, the schools that are just known schools, but no one really gives a fuck outside of their regional base? What do you do? How do you sell kids to come to your school? Maybe you could still sell them on the NFL, but I mean, we see it every year, how more and more players are coming from the SEC, making it to the league. The SEC is the minor leagues for the NFL. Then you have your Clemson's in the ACC that contribute and other schools like that. But by and large, the SEC is the minor leagues for the NFL. So how the hell are you selling a kid on the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, any of that shit, when everything seems to be moving towards you're either in the SEC or you're not recognized as playing top-level college football. What the fuck do you do? And you can try to use this name and likeness thing to try to entice kids to play, but, I mean, the bread is cool, but you want Alabama bread or Alabama sponsorships? Alabama booster-aided sponsorships? Or you want to go to Toledo and be the man at Toledo and squeeze whatever bread you can out of the Toledo market? I mean, still D1, right? That's the conundrum. How are lesser D1 schools supposed to entice Players that are of quality. Three stars. I'm not even saying four and five stars. Those 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 players aren't considering those schools unless they fucked up with grades or they got in trouble with the law. You're a three-star recruit. If you have a chance to go to the SEC, even if it's a low-level SEC school, why would you choose Miami of Ohio, Kansas, University of Houston, Tulane, whatever, over those schools. Why would you choose those schools over low-level SEC schools? Well, you know the bread is going to spread to more players over there just because of the fact that you're in the SEC. Is getting bread in Tulane better than getting bread as a second or third stringer in the SEC? And yes, you can get money as a second or third stringer in the SEC. Don't get it twisted. While in TCU, Tulane, wherever, you got to be the star to get some bread. All y'all ain't going to be able to eat. The top of the top over there can eat. But more likely than not, in the SEC, more y'all can eat. Should we just go ahead and just dissolve all this shit? These players have been getting paid. Now it's just all out in the open to a certain degree. Trust, there's still some money being passed in other ways. You can't sponsor every goddamn thing. So what are we doing? Do you want to dissolve college football? In the way that we know it. Look, we talked about the Super League when that became a thing overseas. When all the top football clubs were trying to band together and make one big-ass league where everybody could eat. And there's no relegating. There's none of that nonsense. We all here to get this bread 
and make money off rivalries and sell kits and all types of shit. Can college football pull that off? Are they already low-key doing that? But if they go ahead and make it official, will you watch? And lastly, I think, you know, we have to touch on the Olympics, right? Like everything that's been going on, especially, you know, outside of Team USA men's basketball. Like, look, that that's a train wreck. I noticed I haven't even touched on it that much because, quite honestly, I was not that interested in it even in its, you know, original form in regards to what the team was going to look like and all that type of stuff. Like, I really didn't care. Then he went out there and lose to Nigeria. They lose to France. They Then everybody wants to jump on them. I really didn't care either way. So we've moved on past that. But in regards to what has, you know, been the story of these Olympics and these Olympic Games, it has to be Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. More so probably Simone Biles um, because she's more known for what she does in the Olympics. But the issue of mental health has reigned supreme. It's become a thing. And the reaction of people on social media and specifically in sports media, which I firmly, if you, if you haven't been able to tell now, you should know that it's wrestling. Okay, you if, if you follow me on Twitter, you see what I'll put up anytime somebody goes crazy over the top, you know, desperate for aggregates. I screenshot it and then I'll put my reaction to it, which is wrestling. So, you know, check for that if you have it. But it's become a thing. People are jumping out the window and they want to have opinions and social media allows everyone to have an opinion. But when it comes right down to it, there's very little human decency being shown right in the comment section you know, all that type of stuff. But if you look at it from an overall perspective, look, Simone Biles, she essentially has a common terms, the yips. The yips are a thing where it's like, I have a tick that stops me from performing normal athletic duties that I would normally be able to do. We've seen it in baseball where, you know, Chuck Knobloch, who's an all-star second baseman, couldn't throw the ball to first base. It happens a lot in baseball, actually. We, there's been catchers who can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. They have to throw the ball to first base, and then the first baseman will throw the ball back to the pitcher. We've seen pitchers not be able to throw the ball to first base. Like There's these mental blocks that happen in sports. That's why you see guys have superstition, have athletes have superstitions. They have to go through a routine. You know, stuff like that. Like we saw it with Giannis, this whole thing with the free throws. And he had to switch up his routine. It was getting to him. The fans counting on the road and counting 12 seconds. It was getting to him. And I think Giannis actually is a perfect example of where how far mental health has come to a degree. The comment section will always be the comment section. You'll always have sports media people being wrestlers trying to jump out the window to have the take. But in regards to our instant reaction, remember in the NBA Finals, Giannis was going out of the first quarter of damn near every game. He would play a few minutes and then he would be taken out inexplicably to our naked eye, right? We were like, oh, what's going on? And, what's, what's... and he would disappear. He went to the locker room. And the first inkling was, Oh shit, he's he has anxiety. He's having panic attacks. So he needs to catch his breath. He needs to take a breather after playing a couple of minutes of an NBA Finals game. So he's got himself so worked up, so jazzed up, that on the largest stage in professional basketball, with all eyes on him as a true superstar in his prime, the stage is too big. 
the stage is so big that he has to take himself out the game to calm his nerves down. That was an instant reaction. And this was a man whose knee bent backwards the wrong way just a few weeks prior. We weren't thinking about the injury. We thought instantaneously about his mental health. And it turned out he just had to take a piss. <laughs> but the fact that we instantly went to mental health is a step. Because we've had players miss Super Bowls because the moment was too much for them. The pressure was too much for them. Now, when you go back, you can think of Eugene Robinson soliciting a hooker the night before the Super Bowl. Was that really because he wanted to get a nut off? Or was it because he was going through so much shit, he just had to act innately and just do something? And what he chose to do was absolutely the wrong thing at the wrong time. But was it truly just a nut or was there more there? Was there more there that night? So in every sport, you can bring up a moment where the moment is too large for someone and through whatever measures, they collapse, they crumble. And we could have Simone Biles, who is by far the face of the Olympics. She's the goat. She has a, a, a specific emoji just for her. So she's it. These Tokyo games are about her and her alone. Even with this, even with her bowing out and withdrawing from competition, these Olympics are still about her. And she has the yips. So essentially, these moves that she's doing in the air, which by and large have never been done before. She's physically doing things that have never been done before. And she's having trouble landing it sticking it but because the level of difficulty is so high she's still advancing in these rounds but she doesn't feel comfortable doing these death defying physic defying things she's contorting her body in such ways that we've never seen before and she's going through it on the biggest stage in her sport She's going through it when she's the goat of her sport, when she's the role model of millions of young gymnasts throughout the world. All eyes are on her and she at this very moment is going through it because what she's the best at, she can't perform it. When she's at her best, nothing can stop her. But she feels she's not at her best She's going through a little mental block and she doesn't want, I mean, look, if you're doing all this contorting in the air, like even if you watch some of the earlier competitions from um, the earlier heats, even in this uh, Olympic games, like when she's landing, she's landing fast and she's landing hard. And it's a thud when she hits that mat, when she's trying to stick those landings. And even though she takes a big hop, which is bad in theory, but when you see what she's doing in the air and the torque that she's building by contorting herself, when she lands with that much force, how can the body not hop? But she obviously feels confident enough that she can will herself to stick those landings. But if you stick that landing wrong, your ankle's gone. Your knee could be gone. You could take a wrong twist in the air and your neck, spine, hip, whatever, could be gone. So she's like, you know what? I'm good. Can't do it. 
backing out. And you have the ones jumping out the window, trying to throw shade. You have the ones that are bringing up, you know, things that don't matter in the long scheme of things in regards to, you know, if, if you know what the history of the U.S. gymnastics, especially the women's side with this dude Nasser, you know, who, who was a harasser and an abuser of young gymnasts. No one should be throwing any shade at Simone Biles. Do the history, do the homework before you jump out the window and try to get aggregated. What she's had to battle through, what she's had to come back from, only a true asshole would jump out the window and try to throw shade. Carrying a whole sport on her back. Carrying a whole nation on her back. Carrying a whole generation of gymnasts on her back. And her saying, nah, it's too much. And to blame her for that is some of the dumbest shit you'll ever hear. But the notion of mental health becoming a a normal thought process in the lexicon of trying to analyze what's going on with an athlete or anyone of that matter, that should be at the forefront of anybody's mind because we've all had bad days. We've all, all have had good and bad days. You might think someone's having a great day. They smile, they do whatever, but inside they're torn the fuck up. I've certainly seen it. I've certainly have had to endure it. You're going through shit, but you smile through it. You talk through it. You bullshit through it. You get through it. We can do that. We're not on the world's largest stage with all eyes on us. Pressures of millions, if not billions of people. On what you do next. Whatever outcome you have next will impact millions, if not billions of people. We don't have to go through that. But when you're the likes of Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, they do. And that matters. And that is impactful. Baseball players go through it. Football players. I mean, look, man, this, this, this is life. This is human nature. Mental health is for everyone. It's not just for people where it's obvious there's something mentally wrong. Mental health matters for every single one of us. And whether you're Barrett Robbins or Eugene Robinson at a Super Bowl, whether you're DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Love in the NBA, whether you're Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles, your mental health matters. Your mental health is wealth. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. I hope y'all enjoyed that last episode of Taking the Church. Really put some production value onto that. So if you haven't checked for that one already, jump back one episode. Check out that Taking the Church where I take you to church and give all praise to the basketball gods. I had real, I had a real good time doing that. I had a lot of fun. Got some good feedback on that. But, you know, obviously we're trying to do some different things here. It's the NBA offseason. So I'm still going to do pods. That's why we made this transition from pick and pop to the Sam B because I still want to talk. I still want to crack this mic and I can talk about more things than just basketball. So stay locked in with me. Weekly pods. You know how I give it up. Uh, Make sure to follow me on Twitter and YouTube, all that stuff. The links for those are in the description. Have fun watching that NBA draft. I'll be on Twitter live tweeting away. You know how I give it up. For the Sam D podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.